0: Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. My name is Soren Schwab, VP of Partnerships here at CLT, and today we are joined by Dr. Jerome Foss. Dr. Foss is a professor of political science at St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where he's also the endowed director of the St. Vincent Center for Catholic Thought and Culture. He attended the University of Dallas for his Bachelor of Arts and then Baylor University for his master's and for his PhD. Dr. Foss, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me, Soren. It's great to be with you. Well, great. We love to start the Anchored podcast by talking about our uh, guest's own educational journey and background. So tell us a little bit about your growing up. Uh, what kind of education did you receive? Um, and, and did you jo- enjoy learning uh, when you were younger?
1: I did enjoy learning, but I didn't really think about it as learning. It was just, you know, play. Um, I was a, I was a good student. I played basketball. Um, and for me, those things went together. I just worked hard, practiced hard, both in terms of basketball and in terms of of schoolwork. And doing doing well at both was very important to me. Um, I grew up in Colorado, just outside of Denver, Colorado. My family bounced around from suburb to suburb. um, And then eventually we bounced outside of Colorado, moved to Billings, Montana when I was a high school student. Um, In Colorado, I was mostly in public schools. I went to a Catholic school for two years, for seventh and eighth grade in Broomfield, Colorado. And then when we moved to Montana, I went to a public high school in Montana, and I graduated from from high school there. Um, Didn't know what I wanted to do, didn't really think about being a professor at that point. Wasn't even sure what I wanted to major in. Uh, But when I started looking at at colleges, um, I was just looking for a place where I could uh, be part of a community, um, and and really dive into to learning. And I figured I'd I'd worry about the career later. And uh, that ended up working out pretty well for me.
0: Yeah, I got to ask, what position did you play?
1: I, I mostly played small forward, so the number three position, yeah, in basketball terms. Um, but I could play uh, a, a guard position, usually the shooting guard position, or power forward. Um, That's pretty, pretty versatile. I'm about six foot two. So, um, so I could play down low if I needed to, but I had enough ball handling skills that I could be a guard if, if uh, called upon to do so.
0: Nice. I'm six, three and a half. I always, you know, got to, got to say that half, but so I I was was curious. Um, You can never tell on Zoom. She might be a little bit taller than me. Right. Just, just a little (laughs) bit, just a little bit. Um, Wonderful. Um, So you ended up, uh, going to the University of Dallas for your for your undergraduate um, degree, um, which is one of our one of our partner colleges. I've visited campus many times; big fan. Um, how did you how did you find um, the University of Dallas? Uh, was that something that you know through through your counselors, um, or were you specifically looking for a, a Catholic school? What was kind of the process of of finding finding Dallas? Yeah, that's a good
1: question. I um, I think I heard about the University of Dallas. Uh, through my through my parents, uh, through my mother, I think she was looking at uh, Catholic colleges when I was a junior or senior in, in high school, um, and I was looking at all kinds of colleges. Uh, I was interested in going back to Colorado at that point um, because it was, you know, it, I was sort of homesick and wanted to get back to the state I grew up in. Um, there aren't, you know, there aren't really any Catholic colleges in Colorado, so. Um, I had to look outside of Colorado for the type of education that I wanted, and I wanted Catholic, and I wanted liberal arts. So I was looking for
0: um,
1: not just a Catholic school, but a school that was that would is good academically too. Really strives to provide students with a good liberal arts formation. And um, the two things that attracted me to the University of Dallas were its core and its Rome program. And um, I remember flying from Billings, Montana down to, to DIA, or not, not DIA, uh, DFW airport, uh, with my mother. I remember it was her birthday. It was March. And we went to a prospective students day at the University of Dallas. And, um, boy, D- Dallas is really different than Montana in March. It was still kind of winter in, in Montana. And it was, it was spring. Spring was in bloom in Dallas. It was beautiful. Um, I met some of the professors. I was able to talk to some of the students and I could tell this was this was a place I would feel very comfortable. That I could really just embrace, embrace my studies, embrace learning, and not worry too much. You know, I knew eventually I'd have to choose a major, but I wouldn't have to worry about it too much right off the bat. Right.
0: Nice. So, at what what point did you did you decide um, to go into a major? Was it was it sophomore junior year? Uh, and then, what major did you did you decide to on political science at that point?
1: Yeah. The nice thing about the University of Dallas is the the core more or less. Um, gives you a, a uh, set of courses for your first couple of semesters. So I was able to explore a few different disciplines. And I remember being interested in history, um, especially political history. And I remember being interested in economics, especially the policy side of economics. And I really liked the politics courses that the University of Dallas offered. Um, And I just kept taking courses in politics. And eventually it was was clear to me that that's that's where my interests were. My inclinations were geared towards political philosophy and American political thought. Um, Not really the practical side of politics, but more the study of it. And um, I I remember uh, taking a course on Aristotle. We, We read Aristotle's politics and I was a sophomore. I think it was the second semester of my sophomore year. And somewhere in the middle of the semester was the first time i would really thought of being a college professor and there was something about reading aristotle and we just we were reading it slowly very deliberately um and it was all brand new to me so it was like picking up gold every day every day i had these these mental nuggets that i wanted to just hold on to and never forget about and i wanted to find a way to pass them on to others um i there, there were things that i that I couldn't believe that I hadn't been taught. And um, and I was so grateful to the professor for introducing me to these ideas that I wanted to do the same thing. And uh, I remember sitting there in his class thinking, I don't know if I could ever do it as well as he does it,
0: but I would love to
1: have the opportunity to try. And uh, I'm grateful to have had that opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, what you're describing at the University of Dallas, I, I experienced at, at Hillsdale College where a lot of students don't declare their major till junior year, and and it seems so counter cultural, right? Um, where, I mean, you talk to sometimes fourth and fifth graders, and, and they feel like they already need to know exactly what they're going to double major in um, and then go to grad school. To uh, What what advice do you have for, for for students, maybe to high school students that maybe feel that pressure? um, to, 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 to specialize early on. I mean, it's even starting into the, the the high school years, right. Where students kind of, uh, pick, pick majors. Um, what, what advice do you have for students that, that maybe feel like they have to go to a, to a larger university, right. That has all the majors that they potentially want, um, versus what you did. Um, you want to be in a, in a certain community. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I think for me, what,
1: what helped, was i have i had a, a really strong sense of providence that um and i was I was trying to discern a calling and so I was on the on the lookout waiting for God to show me the way to go and I knew in high school I hadn't been given a clear path vocationally yet right so I didn't really have my my eyes set on any career path in high school and I remember counselors and, and teachers, some of them kind of leaning on me a little bit and saying, you know, what, what are you going to do? You have to be ready to declare a major when you get to college and you should be thinking about a career and should be thinking of investments and, you know, retirement will be here before you know it. And I just thought that was kind of silly, you know, to to be 20 years old and already have to think about retirement and what am I going to do to get to retirement? And um, I don't, I don't want to just focus on how to get to the end. I, I really want to enjoy the journey and I want to, think of my career and experience a career that is um, really integral to my life. It's not just how I make money. It's, it's gotta be part of who I am. And so I went to college open to being led in the right direction. And, um, and, and so I just entrusted myself to Providence and that, that'd be the advice I would give to somebody. You now it's, it really is a leap of, of faith to, to do that. But, um, but, I see students today at, at Saint Vincent where I teach, um, and some of them have everything mapped out, and, and they they take a path, and that that sometimes works out well for them, sometimes not. But I've seen students take take that leap of faith too, and just uh, take classes that they're interested in, uh, choose a major that they're interested in, um, and have have faith or trust that um, that their inclinations are leading them in the right the right direction.
0: Well. It sounds like it clearly worked out for you. Um you have now been at St. Vincent uh, for over a decade since 2011. Um maybe for our listeners who might not be be too familiar with St. Vincent's College, um tell us a little bit about about St. Vincent um and then your role there.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um St. Vincent has a great a great story, a great history. Uh, it's a Benedictine college. It's the first Benedictine monastery and college in North America. Um The founder was a Bavarian monk. He came here in 1840s. I think the college was founded in 1846. Um, So that that goes back quite a ways in our our history. Uh, Latrobe is in Western Pennsylvania. And there were a lot of immigrants in this part of Pennsylvania at the time. And uh, Father Boniface Wimmer wanted to serve the German speaking immigrants who who had settled here. And so he asked permission to come here and establish a monastery and establish um, a college. St. Vincent was an existing parish at the time. St. Vincent as a parish predates the American Revolution. Um, And so when Boniface Wilmer came from Bavaria, he settled at St. Vincent because there was a Catholic community there and um and then the monastery grew uh on the grounds of the parish and then eventually it turned into to a full full full-blown monastery seminary college they had a prep school here for a while um and it's really been a um a staple of westmoreland county ever since Um, latrobe itself has a really interesting history um it's uh some of its seems it's almost fun or funny. Um, it's the home of the banana split. It's where the banana split was, was invented. Um, they claim to have the first professional football team. I, I think from what I've gathered, it, it was the first set of professional players or players who were paid. I don't know if everyone on the team was paid, but, but, uh, there's some debate about that, I suppose. Um, it's also the birthplace of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, who grew up in a house just around the corner from where I live. Uh, also, the birthplace and home of Arnold Palmer, the the famous famous golfer, um, and both Fred Rogers and um, the Palmer family have close ties to Saint Vincent College. So Saint Vincent um, is the home of the Fred Rogers Center or the Fred Rogers Institute. It just changed its name. Uh, and also uh, on our campus is the Winnie Palmer Nature Reserve, uh, named after Arnold Palmer's wife. So. Um, so there's a lot of neat things here in the area. It's a small town, but there's some, there's some really good history here. Uh, St. Vincent itself to me has got a a wonderful story. And today it's the largest Benedictine, uh, community of men in America. I think the world, I think they, I forget the exact number, but over 150 monks are associated with this Abbey here at St. Vincent.
0: Wow, oh, this is fascinating. So come for the Catholic formation. stay for the banana splits. Um, and, right. and <laughs> <laughs> that is fascinating. um so so you mentioned it's 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 a, it's a Catholic a Catholic a college. Um now, I do want to ask you because when I talk to families and sometimes I talk to to Catholic school leaders, um oftentimes when they when they when they say, you know, the, the college they recommend or, um you know kind of the the search process the process for catholic colleges the name newman guide comes up a lot right we're we're looking at newman guide schools um which i guess is is code for you know we're looking for authentically catholic institutions saint vincent is not a newman guide school can you speak to that a little bit and kind of make the case for for saint vincent why, you know if for for maybe a catholic family that's listening why why they should take a close look at saint vincent
1: sure yeah absolutely um you know, there's a lot of Catholic colleges out there. Some of them uh, choose to, to work with the Newman Guide. Some don't for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm not really on the marketing side of St. Benson. I'm an academic, but so I can speak to the Catholic character of the college. Um, like I said, it's a Benedictine college, and, and we take that very seriously. So the, the um, Benedictine heritage and what we call the Benedictine hallmarks, Are really uh, a a fundamental part of who we are and of the education that we offer so all of the students will become familiar with the the rule of saint benedict while they're here they're given a copy of the rule of saint benedict as soon as they arrive on campus Um, we now are teaching the rule of saint benedict to all of the students in our core curriculum Uh, the life of saint benedict by gregory the great is also a part of our core curriculum so students will will be familiar with the stories of St. Benedict, and they'll they'll see around campus um, artwork, uh, stained glass windows, statues, all kinds of references to the life of St. Benedict, to the rule of St. Benedict. And they see monks all over the place. Um, the monks have a very strong presence here. Uh, they run campus ministry. They teach in the classrooms. They have administrative positions. Um, so uh, wherever you go, you're, you're bound to bump into um, to one of the monks. Or one of the seminarians who are here studying. Uh, the Benedictine hallmarks, I won't go through all of them, but they're things like prayer. And prayer is a big part of the Benedictine heritage, aura et labora, prayer and work. Um, and that that certainly is part of our character as a college. The students have lots of opportunities to participate in mass. There's confession every day in our basilica. We have a beautiful basilica. It's the most beautiful building in Westmoreland County um, with a wonderful history uh, in and of itself. It was built with materials right here from not just from the county, but right here on campus. Um, At one point, the monks were making all of the bricks that were used in the buildings here, um, which I, I just find fascinating. Students have opportunities to go on retreats with the monks. Um, and then there's academic programs that involve, uh, Benedictine culture, Benedictine heritage, um, including our Benedictine leadership studies program, which is one of the programs that's part of the center for Catholic thought and culture that you mentioned at the beginning. Students in that program are, um, taking classes together. There's a, there's a curriculum that they follow, um, as a cohort and they come from all the different majors on campus. And the capstone for the program is a trip to Rome uh, during spring break, their senior year. Um, this year, this coming year, 2023, we'll be staying at San Anselmo, which is the, the Benedictine um, house on the Aventine Hill, which is a beautiful place to stay. Uh, and we'll be eating with the monks of San Anselmo and praying with the monks of San Anselmo and seeing Rome and, and taking trips to Monte Cassino and, and elsewhere too. It's a wonderful trip. So the Benedictine character of the college really drives who we are. It's part of our curriculum. It's not just on the outside, it's on the inside. It's the heart of who we are. Um, The first words of St. Benedict's rule are listen, listen with the ear of the heart. And um, the Benedictines do a good job of instilling who they are into the, to the whole of the campus, including uh, the new core that we have. It, it has a very Benedictine feel to it. And, uh, more broadly, um, Catholic, um, where the college takes seriously the Catholic intellectual tradition, um, which is the tradition of philosophic and scientific inquiry, um, going out and trying to figure out who we are as human beings, what it means to live in community, what it means to live on this planet. And um, the the courses are taught by experts in various disciplines, um, but everything's geared towards a a whole curriculum that speaks to the whole human person from a Catholic point of view. Uh, it doesn't mean there aren't people here who will who who have different points of view. Um, it's it's not uh, insulated from the rest of the world. There's going to be uh, students who raise questions um, about uh, all kinds of things, philosophic questions, theological questions. But because we're we're comfortable with the fact that our faith is uh, is reasonable, um, we're open to those questions, and uh, we can have really good conversations about um, everything from uh, political philosophy, which we do in my courses, to biology, physics, astronomy, philosophy, theology, communications, um, all kinds of things. So, uh, and what's really important is that we treat each other with respect when we have these conversations. And St. Vincent is is really good at that. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we do have to have uh, conversations that that in the real world, as they say, can can be kind of uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but when you're with people you know care about you, people who care about your good and your where you're going in life and where you're going in the next life, then you can trust that you can have these conversations without people judging you or putting you down or wanting to cancel you or anything like that. And so the, the whole environment here is really <clears throat> really shaped by Benedictine heritage and the Catholic intellectual tradition so, very much is a authentically Catholic college.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. So you've been teaching for over a decade now. Um, have you seen a, a difference in in the types of students, the kind of students that, 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 that you teach personally, or maybe, you know, ac- across a campus, um, whether that's in maturity level in, in academic abilities, whatever it might be. Um, and then uh, secondly, uh, it, a difference in where these, these these students come from, whether they come from Catholic school, homeschool, or maybe an increase in classical school. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> I've been here for, let's see, this is my 12th year. And um, it's a little hard to say because of COVID, you know, our students who are coming in from, from high school had a really strange experience in high school. And so I, I don't think there's any any surprise that the students are are going to be a little bit different today than they would have been maybe three or four years ago in terms of their preparation for college. But we, we do have quite a few students from homeschool families who are coming to St. Vincent right now, and they're attracted by some of the things that I, I just mentioned. And um, my perception is that homeschool students, students who are already being homeschooled, were not as affected by COVID because everybody was being homeschooled during COVID. So, and they already had a jumpstart on this. They knew how to do it and uh, they do they do a good job of it. Um, so some of the things that are attracting our homeschool students to St. Vincent are the Benedictine Leadership Studies program that I just mentioned. We also have two new minors uh, that that are of interest to Catholic families and, and um, classical ed families and homeschool families. One of those minors is a Sanctity of Life minor. So it's an interdisciplinary minor that focuses on questions of human dignity. Uh, it's not really about how to make arguments for or against uh, or for human life in the public public sphere. It's more of really reflecting on what it means to be human from a biological perspective, a philosophical perspective, a theological perspective, and then what some of the implications of those reflections are. So there's theology courses, philosophy courses, um, biology uh, social science, constitutional law—all of those make up the minor. And then the second new minor is a minor in classical education, which I think will be particularly of interest to students who are taking the CLT. Um, and so that also is an interdisciplinary minor where students are taking courses uh, that are part of a classical curriculum, but also reflecting on what what it means to be classically educated. Um, those. Minors and our Rome program and our BLS program tend do seem to be attracting students who are coming from classical programs or homeschool. Um, and so that that means for me at least, my experience is that students come, who come from those backgrounds are better prepared for college. Um, they're, they tend to be really good writers or better writers than, than our average students. Um, they tend to understand being part of a community, which is an essential part of education, I think is, is going forward and learning these things together and helping one another. They tend to be very comfortable with that sort of approach. Um, and so, uh, and so I've actually seen a higher number of really strong, well-prepared students, uh, come to St. Vincent in the last four or five years.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder, too, with everything that's been going on, like you said, throughout COVID, um, many colleges go in completely virtual. I know St. Vincent was, of course, you closed for a while, just like everyone had to. But but in general, you try to stay open and you value that that community aspect, that togetherness. And, and we've seen that here at CLT, too, I think the last couple of years in particular. Um, the curtains have been lifted, so to speak. And I think parents are and students, of course, are getting a, a better sense of what, what are we actually learning? What are these college and universities actually actually teaching our our students? Um, and so um, which 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 will only benefit, of course, schools like St. Vincent, that that view education as, as not just you know the acquisition of skills, but truly the formation of the whole person, which is really hard to do via Zoom, even though I'm grateful for Zoom, that's how we're recording this. This wonderful conversation, right? But there's so much more to it. So um, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Well, let's switch gears a little bit here and, and talk about books. Um, we at CLT, we, we love books, uh, as you know. Um, and uh I personally i am I'm a big Flannery O'Connor fan. And so I was delighted to see that that you're an expert on on Flannery O'Connor. In fact, you published a book in 2019 titled Flannery O'Connor and the perils of governing by tenderness. Now, I assume many of our listeners have heard of O'Connor. Uh, are familiar with her, but might not immediately think of, of history or political philosophy when they hear hear the name. So talk to us a little bit about, about your book, and in particular, how how thinkers like, like Aristotle, Machiavelli, Locke, or even Nietzsche uh, have informed O'Connor's work.
1: Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. I love talking about Flannery O'Connor. Um, we have a lot of reading groups here at St. Vincent, and uh, we've had uh, a couple, three, I think, Flannery O'Connor reading groups since I've been here. So... Um, it's always fun to talk about Flannery O'Connor. Uh, her 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 short stories in particular have have really just been wonderful for me to to read and reflect on and think about. And at first, I started reading O'Connor just because I was uh, enjoying it. and uh, and after I worked through her fiction, I started reading, um, other things, *Mystery and Manners*, which is a collection of her prose, and uh, *The Habit of Being*, which is a collection of her correspondence, and then everything else I could get my hands on. I started reading for, uh, what other people were saying about O'Connor, um, and I really just for fun. I needed a, a break from some of the other some of the other research projects I was working on, and so I wrote a an essay on uh, Flannery O'Connor's *Good A Good Man Is Hard to Find* and um was really just making some observations about uh some of the political philosophy that seemed to have influenced the story and i presented it and it was well received and i had fun and then i I tried again the next year i wrote a paper on um another story where i thought she was maybe playing with the ideas of um of uh, machiavelli and so I worked on that essay and I presented it at the American Political Science Association. And uh, somebody came up to me after the panel and said, you know, I think you might have something something here. Do you think O'Connor was generally familiar with the history of political thought? And I said, I, I think so, but I, I don't know for sure. Um, and so I started exploring it more. And I actually was able to go down and, and uh, look through Flanner O'Connor's personal library down in uh, Milledgeville, Georgia, and um, started just looking what books did she own that had something to do with political philosophy. And it turned out she had a lot of primary texts, Plato, Aristotle, um, uh, and many others, but she also had a lot of books that were about the history of political philosophy. Uh, and then I discovered she wrote book reviews for her diocesan paper. Imagine having Flannery O'Connor write book reviews in your diocesan paper. Um, but a lot of the books that she reviewed uh, were had to do with political philosophy. She reviewed Eric Vogelin's Order in History, um, which is a pretty intense uh, work of, of the history of political philosophy. Um, she's reviewing Romano Guardini's works, some of which have to do with the history of ideas or the history of, of political ideas. Uh, and she was interested in people like Russell Kirk. So it became clear to me that she was more than just kind of vaguely familiar with the overall history of Western political thought. Um, she was pretty well versed in it. And so what I do in my book is show how the ideas of, of political philosophy um, and the ideas of particular political philosophers kind of show up in different, different stories. So, you have um, stories where there are clear classical elements, where there's uh, references to uh, Platonic thought or or Aristotle, or especially her favorite, Thomas Aquinas. Um, And then other stories where she's kind of thinking through modernity. And uh, there are some pretty clear references to early modern thinkers and late modern thinkers. Um, And uh, there's a few stories that are you know, very, very clearly she's thinking about late modernity. So Nietzsche's name comes up um, in particular in uh, the Partridge Festival and um, Heidegger is quoted in um, Good Country People. So she's really, she's, she's, she's really trying to think about this stuff. So, and then the title, The Perils of Governing by Tenderness, that comes from an introduction she wrote uh, to a book called The Memoir for Marianne and uh there's a beautiful passage in that introduction where she's reflecting on modernity and um and our tendency to 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 want to be governed by tenderness and it sounded a lot like tocqueville to me and so i've also written an essay it wasn't in the book it came later but an essay on o'connor and alexis de tocqueville um, and again, I was able to go down to Milledgeville. She owned a copy of Tocqueville's Democracy in America. And so I was able to thumb through it and look at what she underlined or what she wrote in her margins. So it was a lot of fun. It's uh, she's certainly somebody to admire. And I do.
0: Absolutely. Do you have a a favorite short story?
1: People ask me that all the time. <laughs> and I always end up giving them a list of, of short stories. but. Um, Certainly, good country people and
0: Revelation are right at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I taught I taught both of them to high school juniors, and it was always my favorite favorite time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sticking with with books here for our last question, uh, which we ask all of our anchored guests, and uh, it's probably the most difficult one to answer because so you have to limit it to one. Um, can you tell us one book or one text that that has impacted your life the most?
1: Yeah, I would go back to the story I told earlier of um, taking that course on Aristotle's politics. I I think if I I, um, really had to narrow down a book, I'd say Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics had a huge influence on me. But I read his politics first, and it was his politics that set me on the path that eventually led to St. Vincent. Um, So I don't know if I can count both. (laughs) They kind of go together. Um, But I guess in terms of career, it was Aristotle's politics.
0: Uh, and, and do you do you get to teach Aristotle's politics as well?
1: I do. I, I'm teaching teaching a course. It's a survey course on classical political thought this semester. So we're reading Plato's Republic right now, but we'll turn to Aristotle um, at probably around week six
0: or seven. Wonderful. Well, this has been delightful. Again, we're here with Dr. Jerome Foss, professor of political science at St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Dr. Foss, thank you so much for being on Anchor today. Thank you, Soren. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchor. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe
1: and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.